Hi everyone, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I just want to briefly introduce this to let you guys know on something really exciting that both myself and Pascal are going to uh, this December, and that is the Alan Aragon Conference that is being held in Nottingham, uh, along with Martin McDonald, who has been on the podcast, who I know a lot of you follow. So Alan is coming to Nottingham, UK on the 9th of December. Both me and Pascal are going to be there. I'm wondering how many of you are going to be there. If you've heard about it, hopefully you have. There'll be links in the description box below so you can go and check it out. It's over on the Mac Nutrition University website. Um, And it's going to be really, really fun because it's actually a 9.30 till 5 finish, um, full exclusive content that hasn't been shown before. Um, Every single time Alan's come to the UK, I've been there. So I'm very excited to be there again and meet him. Um, There'll be four talks. So just to briefly go over those research, review highlights from the 10 years of his research review which is super exciting talk two's practical insights and case studies from his early career talk three cutting edge and emerging strategies in nutrition for health and performance and finally top 10 myths in health in the health and fitness industry and how they're flawed so Remember, if you want to get your ticket, they are on sale for a short period of time. There's limited numbers as well. So please go and uh, have a look at that. Let us know if you're interested in going and hopefully we'll see you there. Cheers, guys. Welcome, guys, to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, although some people might mistake me for Mike Isratel now, apparently, because I have my head shaved, but I may well look more like Broderick um, because Broderick is also repping the shaved head look. And today we have Broderick Chavez on the show, the evil genius, um, and I'm excited to talk about a topic that I think we're all incredibly passionate about, at least we drink this daily probably, and that is coffee. And Broderick is particularly passionate about it, and he's just been talking to me for maybe 10 minutes just very quickly uh, about uh, many aspects I hadn't even really considered. Maybe I hear about it or you guys will hear about it, where a cup of coffee is kind of produced, how you produce it, dark roast, light roast, the country, the origin, all of these aspects. And I hadn't really ever considered myself what impact that could have on our cup of coffee. Um, So first of all, we're going to talk about those elements, what impact that could have on the cup of coffee that you're going to be consuming. And then we're going to go into a part two about once you know what you want to get out of your coffee, how's the best way to get that? And what are the benefits that you could potentially be getting? So um, I'll open the floor, first of all, to Broderick to start his uh, great wisdom about coffee or maybe just to talk about a bit about your love because I know it is something you cherish. Well, thanks. And and uh, before we begin, let me thank you for having me back and thank you for, you know, your listeners and uh, the opportunity to just not be talking to myself for once. It's kind of nice, uh, <laughs> which is exactly what I'd be doing. I'd just be walking around with this mug in my hand, grumbling to myself about something, possibly even coffee oh. itself. <laughs> so, um, there's really only two things in this world that I have relevant enough knowledge to actually convey. One is sports performance, you know, biology based sports performance. And the other is coffee because it's an enormous love of mine. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that and being a biologist and having the, the, the scientific method as my prime modus operandi, 
um, I took the time to actually learn the, the biology, the life cycle, if you will, of coffee. So I can relay a little bit of that or even a lot bit of that. Um, so before that, let me just say that um, coffee to me is, and, and I don't want to sound completely corny and like wax eloquent, but to me, coffee is much more than just a caffeine delivery mechanism. I love coffee. I like the, the way it smells. I like the warmth of the cup in my hand. I like the weight of the cup in my hand. I literally have a very specific cup because I like it fits my little you know diminutive paw and it warms my hand just so. And the mass of my cup is appropriate to if I put 205 degree coffee in my cup first thing in the morning, the mass of the cup degrades the heat that within one minute I can drink 170 degree coffee. So I, I take this really serious and put lots and lots of thought and application into, I like the making of coffee. I like the way the grinder sounds. I like the smell that the grinder gives off. I like when I open the top of the grinder, the little bit of particulate and dust that comes out and every coffee is, has a different moisture content. So every coffee um, pervades a slightly different you know, release of phenols and flavorings and smells. And so there's nothing about coffee that I don't like. And I think there's nothing about coffee that I don't notice and obsess about. It's probably not healthy. But having said that, that's my idea of coffee. So with that in mind, some things about coffee. There are, from a biological point of view, there are two genetic variants in coffee. Every single, when you go to a coffee shop, and there's 60 coffees on the wall, and all of them look and smell different. There's only two kinds of coffee. And chances are, everything in those bags is just one kind, and that is Caffea Arabica. Literally Latin for Arabic coffee. The reason for that is they believe that genetically coffee progenated in Arabia, in the Arabian Peninsula. Um, with the modern genetic testing, they're actually beginning to think maybe it was actually Ethiopia. But, you know, 500 years ago when people were naming things, they did necessarily didn't know that. So coffee at large is Arabian coffee. There is a subspecies that is Robusta um, that first came to be in Brazil in the late 1800s. Apparently, if you plant, like, uh, if everybody studied um, biology in high school, you hear about Mendeleev's peas. You know, and if you plant enough peas, you begin to notice some are taller and some are shorter. That very same thing happens in coffee. If you plant fields and fields of Arabica coffee, every once in a while, it turns out to be about 3%. Um, randomly, these slightly variant varieties grow that are robusta. They're called such because they are more robust. The trees are bigger. They're actually bushes, shrubs, but they're bigger and they produce more coffee. Uh, the catches largely doesn't make as pleasing a cup of coffee, but it does produce more coffee and it has some characteristics. A lot of times like in Italy and France where espresso is the preferred modality. A lot of times those espresso intended blends have Arabica beans in them. One, because they have more caffeine and two, because uh, the slightly higher oil content. So you get a creamier, smoother, you know, more palate soaking 
uh, variety in, in the cup. But largely, Arabica is considered a second-class coffee, or rather, uh, Robusta is considered a second-class coffee, and typically not in the conversation of gourmet coffee, although I've had some really good Robusta coffee when I was in South and Central America, but separate. So one, one major genetic variety of coffee. So every single time you get a different tasting cup of coffee, it is because of either the way the beans were treated, roasted, or brewed. Those things can wildly affect anybody out there who listens is listening to this who has uh, any knowledge or interest in wine will recognize the term terroir. It's a French nomenclature that refers to uh, of the earth, terra, terroir, of the earth, where you plant the grape plants will ultimately affect the wine. They taste of the earth. They taste of the place. And that exact thing applies to coffee. It's less about the earth and it's actually more about the, uh, the, uh, the atmosphere, the, the altitude, the, the humidity, etc. So it's more of an environmental aspect. But coffee is a great representation of terroir. If you take an Arabian coffee plant and you plant it in Turkey, you will get a certain cup of coffee. You plant that same exact plant in Brazil, you will get a much different cup of coffee because the humidity, the hours of sunlight, the magnitude of sunlight, on and on and on and on are different. And that affects the fruit of the coffee plant. And those coffee cherries are actually a fruit. And the thing inside it is not a bean, despite us insisting on calling it that. It's actually a pit, much like the thing in the middle of a cherry. And so where you plant it affects it. Largely, the altitude is the biggest factor. Your higher quality coffees, when you think about high quality coffees, you think of um, uh, uh, Hawaiian uh, Kona or uh, Jamaican Blue Mountain. Those are all mountains are involved. They're, yeah. they're high altitude, which makes cool morning temperatures, high humidities by night, low humidities by day. That, that's the environment that makes these really refined, high-quality coffees. So where you plant it affects it. But now, even after that, so you decide where you're going to plant it and how you're going to grow it, and you get these cherries. You have these fruits, and in the middle of it is that bean. Um, how you deal with that then will impact what ultimately you sip out of your cup, which I'm going to do right now. Uh, more on that in a later. What, what's in there? That's fantastic. Um, so you have these, you harvest these fruits. Um, one thing that can impact is how early or late you harvest them. How ripe do they become on the vine can impact the ultimate bean you have. But even then, so you determine when you're going to harvest them. So now you've got coffee, or at least coffee fruits, coffee cherries. How you extract the seed, the bean, from that impacts it. If you just immediately strip off the fruit and dry it, you have fresh processed dry coffee. That's one thing. However, some farms, particularly uh, southern uh, India and East Africa, they will heap them up into big piles and allow them to partially ferment. Well, just like making beer or wine or cheese or anything else, fermentation has a chemical impact on the product which it's reacting with. Cheese is different than milk, so on and so on. So these large piles of partially fermenting coffee fruits imbibe certain flavors, characteristics, and even chemical components 
to the beans that you're ultimately going to drink. So the process by which you deal with it. Um, for instance, Southern India has a specific variety of coffee that's referred to as um, uh, monsooned Malabar. It's called that because they actually heap up the piles of coffee outside during the monsoon season. Wow. So they get rained on. They get The sun dries on. So they're heated and wet and heated and wet. And all of these interesting chemical processes take place over an entire season. Then they strip off the remaining fruit, process the beans. And that makes a very whiny, aromatic, um, almost alcohol-like flavor because of all that fermentation and all that stuff. So it's an example of how radically the way you deal with the beans can then affect a cup. And all of these don't just affect the flavor, but the flavor is largely an issue of the chemical constituents. So later when we talk about the health benefits or or not of coffee, we're also talking about these chemical processes that lead up to why they are the way they are. But even then, you, you, okay, you've decided where you're going to plant it, when you're going to harvest it, and how you're going to deal with the actual fruit. Now you've got a bean. They're green. They're not roasted. When you look at coffee in the store, it's a nice you know, coffee, chocolate brown. Uh, real coffee beans are kind of an ugly, camouflage green kind of color. That, so we're talking about that. We now have that. Even then, you could go down many different avenues as to what you ultimately put in the cup how you roast it, how long, how hot, even how often can ultimately affect what you get in the cup. There's um, in different countries, different uh, cultures use different nomenclature. In this country, we have uh, what, what's referred to as a light roast, a city roast, a full city roast, and then either a, a espresso or Italian roast are the gradients. Uh, Europe actually, I think, uses a new number system that I'm not super intimate with. Yeah. But there, there is differences depending on where you go. But the moral of the story is a very light – when you take a food product, uh, actually any biological product, and heat it, you're exposing it to a, pro a chemical process called pryolysis. You're heating, breaking, and cracking chemical – large chemical compounds into smaller ones. Uh, it's how you make sugar into caramel. It's how you make uh, the, the beautiful crust on a steak. That's pryolysis where you burn the proteins into lesser compounds, carbon compounds, et cetera. So that's what you're doing to coffee. And the amount you do that, again, impacts how much of what degrades and what's left to put in the cup. And also – um, to a large degree, how soluble the things in the on the bean are, because ultimately that's what you're doing. You're taking a solvent water and pushing it through these coffee grounds. So the amount of material that actually washes off the beans and ends up in the cup is largely dependent on how soluble it is, which is a function of how degraded it is and how finely it's ground. More on that in the actual brewing process. So you've got all of these different shades of uh, roasting that you can achieve. And each one's going to have a slightly different flavor, i.e. chemical co composition at the end. So you've got all these different vectors to make different coffees from the same single plant, where you plant it, how you raise it, when you harvest it, how you deal with the fruit before you extract the bean, even to some degree how you store and transport it, and then what you do with the bean. 
So now let's say we pick a middle of the road. We've done all, we've picked all our processes and we've got this middle of the road roasted bean. And then even then we can cut that into multiple piles and there's multiple ways to brew it. You can brew it as most Americans do through a drip brewer. You put coffee in, you pour water over it, it drips down through the coffee like a funnel and accumulates in a pot. That has strengths, weaknesses, and aspects. There is what most Europeans will, I don't know about most, but much more prevalent in Europe would be a French press, which right. is basically just a container. You put coffee in it, you put water in it, wait a period of time, press the coffee to the bottom. That gives you a lot more contact. The water is in contact with the coffee longer, as we talked about solubility, more of what's in the coffee will come out into the solution, in, in soluble solution. So you get more of the essence of the beans into the liquid. Uh, you could make espresso, which is uh, coffee with hot water slash steam forced through it. That has entirely different consequences. You get a much more concentrated, higher oil, higher solids, um, but you also have higher temperature. More on that in a minute because temperature impacts what ultimately winds up in the cup. Uh, and then there's a bunch of sub-varieties. You can do cold brewing. You can do yeah. uh, slow brewing. They're less popular, but they're real. So on to the actual brewing process. Let's just take the French press because it's a cheap, simple, easy device that we can all understand. It's a glass jar. You're going to put coffee and water in it. Even then, what you ultimately get in the cup is determined by your actions. Mm -hmm. Even if you have two equal piles of coffee, they came out of the same bag, this is the same coffee, how finely you grind it determines, to a large degree, the solubility, how much solids are going to disperse into that liquid. So right off the bat, your actions are going to impact what you get. The, the more finely you grind it, the more solids you're going to get in a liquid. The more coarsely you grind it, the less solids. That has an impact on the flavor prof profile because oils and acids, and to some degree the uh, – uh, uh, my brain just stopped working – the um, alkaloid compounds like caffeine and some of the others are very water-soluble. Mm -hmm. Solids are less water-soluble. So if you went with a very – coarse uh, grind, you would get a lot of the caffeine and flavor components, but you are not flavor components, but sharp forward flavor components. Right. And you would get less of that background body and oil and some of those things. So you could get a, what a lot of people might interpret as a bitter, unpalatable cup of coffee, but you would also get more per unit volume of the caffeine and some of the chemical effects, the medicinal effects you might want. Right. So again, what you're trying to do with the coffee could affect how you treat it. A very fine roast would give you exactly the opposite. You get more of the actual bean itself, the, the actual cellulose component, the, the body of the bean will disperse into water. So you're going to get a lot more solids and all of the chemistry that comes with that. Um, even then, you decide what grind you're going to go with. The temperature of the water you put on it will have an impact. Again, when you're making anything, you're making a cake, the temperature you bake it at has as much to do with what you put in the batter. Yeah. Yep. So, again, you're, it's this chemistry, one of the reasons I love it. 
So the temperature of the water, higher temperatures tend to liberate um, more soluble components quicker. Largely in chemistry, heat speeds things up. Mm -hmm. So hotter water will give you more of those forward acids and phenols and, and caffeine alkaloid compounds. Cooler water will liberate those much slower, giving more of the background flavors and solids time to join the party. Um, even then, the subject's not done because now we've got a component of we've got coffee, we've got water, we've determined the grind size and the temperature of the water. There's also now the time factor, how long you allow that to amalgamate into the final cup mm -hmm. has an impact because each thing disperses into the water, into the solution at a different rate. As I said, some of those more liberatory, you know, movable compounds go quickly. So if you brew for a short period of time, you'll get all the caffeine, acids, and alkaloids, but not a lot of the coffee. Whereas if you wait a long time, you'll get a lot of the coffee, probably the same amount of those early compounds. Right. So again, what winds up in your cup is largely a function of the steps you take in which to get it there. And all of that applies to drip coffee and all the other methods just at different rates and different organizations because the process is different. But that gives you an idea of how malleable and affectable this ultimately is based on your choices from where you farm the coffee to what you do in the morning in your underwear to get the cup of coffee. All of that matters to determine what this wonderful hot delicious thing is that's i mean by the way that's a that's a a partially fermented ethiopian coffee that i buy from a company called larry's beans in atlanta georgia and larry larry is a really sexy <laughs> man some fantastic coffee so but anyway um that's pretty much the, the the bare bones i mean and there's a lot more to it if you want but that's the bare bones of how diverse and intricate something as simple as pulling up to the counter and asking for a coffee all of that went into it whether you know it or not all of that's affecting what you're about to enjoy or not whether you know it or not no i think i mean it a lot of that was new to me and i almost feel foolish in thinking that it was new to me because yeah you think about wine and you know these things or you think about i mean a lot of us bros have heard the old myths about kind of you you heat up protein powder and it completely degrades all the protein you don't get the protein from it but we know that to a degree degrades it and you hear about people having egg whites and whether Absolutely. you should drink them and not cook them and we know these things have impact but when it comes to our coffee and our drinking of that and i think i mean a lot of the listeners will have it every single day and are probably half as passionate maybe as you or at, at least a, a, a segment as passionate as you and they kind of care about their coffee and they want to potentially get the most flavor out of it the most enjoyment out of it and i know for me part of the reason i have it is the, the enjoyment the pleasure but then also the caffeine is helpful and if i can kind of purchase or produce coffee for myself in a way that i'm going to get what i want from it in the best ways at the best times then that's something I want to manipulate. That's something I would Absolutely. like to have knowledge about. And I think we've set, or you rather, have completely set and laid the foundation for that because people will want to know, right, if I want to get the most kind of health benefits out of this kind of bean or this certain flavor, 
how can I do that? If I want to get caffeine out of my coffee and that's the main thing I want it, how can I do that? That will really, really help. And I don't know if we talked about the French press. I don't know if yes. if it would be more relevant to talk about it next time in terms of that next step. But in terms of like people have like instant coffee or they have like mm-hmm. pods of coffee um, in which they put into like machines and they just press a button and it produces a coffee. Is that relevant to this segment or should we bring that into well, the next? It, it of course is relevant in that all of those things ultimately go into that, except in that final stage, you then lose control because somebody has chosen to stop the process. This is the coffee that's in that pod. That's it. So you can be cognizant and capable of back researching and finding out what that is. Yeah. But now you have considerably less control over what your actions are going to impart to it because you don't have the ability to manipulate the temperature, the brew time, all of these things. So you're basically stuck with what they've given you. If you if that's the beginning and end of your interest and involvement, that's great. Any coffee is probably better than no coffee. It's still going to have, you know, lots of positive benefits. That's great. But the more control you take personally, the more you're going to get a personalized end product. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm crazy to the point where I'll literally buy green beans and roast them the way I wow. want. That's excessive by anybody's standard, but at the same time, it shows you how involved you can get if you want to. So it's really a matter of you know what, what level of involvement are you interested in, how much effort are you willing to put into this, and a lot of that is dependent on exactly what you want out of it. If you just want to have a cup of coffee and get some stimulation from the you know the chemical compounds in there, yeah, it, anything's fine. Um, I, I would tend to veer away from the instant stuff, again, because some of the processes needed to turn that into the instantized pro- product, probably. I haven't researched this enough to say definitively, but I know enough about chemistry at large to say probably impact the validity of the final cup in terms of its health benefits largely the more processes you put something through the more diminished the final product is in its biological activity so i would tend to steer away from uh instantized coffees not to say that i don't use them in my house i do have them in my house as flavorings i find instant coffee a great thing to add to protein shakes baked goods on and on and on. There's places for that, but in that case, I'm largely just using it as a flavoring, not really for the com- constituent components. Yeah, that that's um, you know what I what I think there is largely it just comes down to how involved do you want to be and you know how hands on. And, and I certainly understand you you only ha- you have a finite amount of energy. You can only spend it where you want to spend it. If worrying about your workout and your protein sources is much more important to you than dealing with the the minutiae of coffee so be it have at it go down to the local shop buy what they're making chances are it's probably pretty good and good for you go about your day whistling um you know if you're crazy like me and you know marching around the house at 4 30 in the morning um you know get creative do what you got to do have brilliant. fun right that that sets a, a brilliant foundation for the next stage in our uh, quest of finding out what, how we want our coffee. And next time, we're really going to touch on all of those benefits and then also how to basically brew your coffee in the best way to achieve what you want to get out of that. Um, so, yeah, I want to 
kind of if if people have got questions this would be a good time to ask them because then we can cover them in the next time um or mm -hmm. i mean maybe another time because we may well record the next episode before this gets released um but that would be fantastic as as we've said before broderick's on regularly now we can get questions across to him thankfully um and get him talking to to us guys rather than himself which is always a pleasure so again thank you broderick for coming on um and yeah thank you everyone for listening and hopefully that's kind of tickled some people's taste buds welcome guys to another episode of the revive stronger podcast i'm your host as always steve hall and again this is part two of our coffee love um, and this is with, again, the evil genius Broderick Chavez. Um, and this episode, we're learning more about kind of what exactly is coffee giving us in terms of performance benefits in the gym, in terms of health benefits, how much do we need? Um, how do we individualize this? Because not everyone kind of would want to have the same amount. Um, so I will let Broderick kind of take the floor and start with maybe if we start with the health benefits before we go into maybe the performance benefits. Uh, sure. Uh, once again, before we start, I want to thank you for having me and thanking everyone out there for actually being interested in things I have to say. Um, it never ceases to surprise me. So thank you, everyone. Uh, from there, coffee, part two. Um, it's pretty obvious. I love the stuff. Um, almost irrationally so. So I'm, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the guy to talk to when it, when it comes to that. Uh, in the first show, we talked about, you know, the, the, the botanicals of what coffee is, where it can come from, uh, and then some of the processes from growing it to, to harvesting it, to treating it, to then roasting it, and um, then even the, some of the different brewing methods. Uh, one thing I didn't mention about the brewing is, like all cooking or chemistry processes, there is a formula or a recipe. Roughly speaking, and this is roughly, it does depend on the coffee you're using, uh, the taste of the country you're in, etc. But the rough ex accepted formula for coffee is a 16 to 1 ratio. So for X amount of water, or for X amount of coffee, you have 16 times more water in terms of by weight. So a 16 to 1 ratio is roughly the magic formula for making coffee. Uh, we'll probably come back to that in a minute. But um, so now we've kind of got an understanding of what coffee is and all of that. Now, now I think today the idea is to talk about what's so wonderful about that. Besides the fact that it's delicious and uh, the, you know the act of making it and the act of smelling it and what have you is, is good. Uh, aromatherapy is a real thing. Uh, literally, smells are some of the most uh, potent stimulators of memories. A lot of people aren't aware of that. They, you, you hear a piece of music or something and it makes you think of a certain thought. Uh, smells are actually more strongly associated with the memory centers. So associating a smell, a certain perfume, a certain cologne, or a certain coffee can stimulate brain functions in a way that other stimuli don't. Uh, it's actually thought that that may be some of the reasons where getting into the good benefits of coffee. Um, some of uh, coffee's now being strongly associated with uh, lower incidence of Alzheimer's and dementia. And a lot of the thought there is it's not so much a specific chemical compound in the coffee, although there is an impact there, that it may actually be that powerful neurostimulation of certain brain centers based on the smell. The smell of coffee 
from a lifetime of training essentially is associated with alertness, mornings, starting your day, and the sheer influence of that smell can make the mind think, oh, I need to get, get with the day, move forward. And that repetitive, literally how many mornings are there in a lifetime can stimulate a pathway for positive brain development and non-negative degradation. So the sheer fact that coffee is delicious and you like it can be one of the actual health benefits, which I find fascinating in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, more specifically and chemistry-wise, it's now being shown that the caffeine itself, which is one of the predominant and certainly the most focused on chemical compounds in coffee, has very positive health benefits. Uh, and this kind of carries through to other caffeinated beverages. You know, soda and a lot of things get very negative press, but caffeine, it seems, particularly in solution, even more particularly in hot solution, which coffee is, and soda and some other things are not, but particularly in solution, caffeine has very strong impacts on uh, vascular tissue. It changes the um, elasticity of vascular tissue, making, um, it does tend to raise blood pressure and some of those things, but secondarily, it seems to uh, um, impart an extra pliability to vascular tissue, which is a very good, again, conditioning long-term impact on health, seems to lower the incidence of strokes and possibly even heart attacks. There's, they're on the fence about that part, but definitely seems to lower the incidence of strokes and even some blood clots. So again, really powerful stuff. And then the other major benefit you hear about coffee, and it's kind of one of those ethereal things you hear, it has antioxidants. Yeah. And um, that's in, in, in it's interesting subject because in a way, antioxidants are kind of a, a catchphrase. It's like, uh, yeah, they're, they're like words. They're all over the place. Like there's, it, it, there's an enormous amount of things that are antioxidants, could be antioxidants, might be under certain conditions. So uh, I, I, I acknowledge the beginning of this particular part of the conversation that antioxidants are kind of one of those things where everything has some, and we all know they're kind of good. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, there's not a lot of really hard science. Um, there is a little hard science associated with a couple of aspects. Uh, coffee is one of the major carriers of chlorogenic acid and eugenol, which are two very specific and very specifically studied antioxidants, which do seem to lower uh, metabolic waste products. We talked about in some of the other podcasts about the Krebs cycle and the electron transfer system. And the one part that always gets left out of the conversation is those things do leave waste products. Right. There's always a background mess when you're doing something. It seems that these two compounds are very valuable and valid in the cleaning of that background waste. And that can lead to less cellular damage, less long-term damage, less metabolic stresses on the long-term overall. Uh, and then also that uh, eugenol seems to have a stimulatory effect on some specific, well, I stumbled with that word, some specific liver uh, cells known as C cells, which are very valuable in the uh, overnight regeneration of liver health. Right. Uh, so that's probably some of the long-term health benefits of coffee at large is that infusion of eugenol throughout the day, which kind of 
mm, bad word, but let's say supercharges that regenerative effect of those specific liver cells. And I think we can all reasonably assume that healthy livers probably really good for health, uh, or at the very least, good for not falling into dishealth, which can be the same, but can also be different. Not getting sick is as valuable as getting more healthy. There's a, an interesting pathway there. Um, so that's kind of just the chemistry of coffee, um, you know, in terms of some specific compounds and some specific benefits, like we said, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, and then a whole fleet of blood slash cardiac related, reduce incidence of stroke, blood clots, that sort of thing. Um, there's even some studies coming along now that suggest coffee may be associated with just overall longevity. Um, now, the interesting thing is I keep saying coffee, coffee this, coffee that. All of these compounds exist in other foods yes. in nature. They absolutely do. It's not as if coffee is the sole harbinger of this stuff. I focus on coffee, one, because it's something that I personally imbibe in great volumes. I like, I appreciate, and it falls kind of under my purview. Being a biologist, I understand uh, botanics, botanical systems, the, the 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 food chain and life cycle of so it's easy for me to get my mind around it's a lot harder for me to talk about the the benefits of you know some strange you know chinese herb that i probably not even heard of so coffee something that i can focus on but a lot of these to be clear and fair a lot of these compounds and benefits do come from other vectors this is not the only avenue uh and then another good reason to focus on coffee is literally 50 percent of the world world's population drinks coffee. So it's a great place to start. It's, you know, it's kind of like talking about air. It's something that almost everybody has access to. Almost everybody's going to have some, some influence with. So um, the, the, the now knowing that there's, there's good stuff in there and there's good stuff largely associated with performance and then kind of different or uh, um, in different doses associated with health and longevity. So at that point, we could take a fork in the road and talk about how we get to maximize different vectors of that same product. And as I talked about in the other half of this podcast, the way you um, grow coffee, the way you harvest and process it, and then the way you roast it, and then even once it's in your home, the way you brew it can influence the volume of which chemicals are in your cup. Mm -hmm. That's where we'll go from here. Largely, when we're talking about performance, we're talking mostly about the caffeine. Yeah. There's other alkaloids and, uh, you know, there's there's some phenols and some other stuff in there that probably do have an influence on performance. But largely, we're talking about the caffeine. And to get the maximum amount of caffeine, interestingly, you really don't have to do anything special. When you put water through ground coffee, one of the very first things to liberate out of that is the caffeine. It's very, very water soluble. So the beauty of that is we can have a relatively fast brewing process. And because caffeine is largely heat degradable, we probably want a light roast or lighter roast coffee. Uh, this is interesting in that historically, even before the science of all this came to be, um, you'll find coffee products on the shelf or in your coffee shop titled breakfast roasts, morning roast, etc. Notoriously, these are light roasted Central American coffees, which ironically are exactly what you're going to want 
to liberate the maximum amount of caffeine and not terribly concern yourself with the other things. So that's what you're looking for in a pre-workout or morning type coffee, where caffeine is your largest concern. You want a relatively light roast, probably of South Central American origin, although that's not super important. But interestingly, the environment, uh, the growing environment of those places lend themselves well to being paired to a relatively light roast. Whereas, for instance, the African, uh, you know, the, the, the Arabian Peninsula, Ethiopia, etc., the environment there is such that the coffees lend themselves better to a darker roast, getting a better flavor profile. And interestingly, those are the ones we'll talk about in regards to health. Not to say that South and Central Americans are like shit for health. No, I'm simply talking about maximizing what you get in the cup with the minimum amount of effort. And that would be a light breakfast type roast, probably of South Central American origin, and brewed roughly any way you like. Although, again, mornings are typically times of minimum effort, so probably your drip brewing is going to be your, your modus operandi. It's easy, it's effective, it's foolproof, and it won't harm anything in the cup. So you've got yourself high caffeine, relatively low other stuff, or lower other stuff. Um, things you're going to want to look out for like to get the most for your money are obvious uh, things that you'll hear about through any gourmet attitude is you want as fresh a roasted coffee as possible. In interesting note on coffee. Here's something that, that didn't come up in the earlier podcast. The green bean, once it's harvested and processed and put in bags, but yet not roasted, that has an almost infinite shelf life. Oh, wow. L literally, you can get coffee that's 30 years old. Tastes wonderful. It's from the moment of roasting that the degradation takes place. So that that green coffee bean is really not a concern in terms of the age and, and, and freshness. Although the way you store it can affect. Like if it sits in a bottom of a tanker you know, boat for six months, the, the, the humidity and moisture changes and what have you can affect it. But assuming it's been properly tended to, relatively temperature and moisture stable almost infinite lifespan. Uh, they, I'm not joking. They literally put it in, uh, you know, government bomb shelters with that purpose in mind. Mm. Like this will be good for almost ever. Wow. Like, like canned food. Uh, so when I say fresh, I'm talking about from the time it was roasted to the time it's at your breakfast table. That's the, the window of time. And then also interestingly, you can actually have coffee that's too fresh. Yes, it, it, everybody makes that face, but once you understand the chemistry, it becomes really clear. Um, when you roast coffee, you're, you're applying heat, which is a chemical process called pryolysis, and it causes actual chemical changes. Uh, just like when you, you know, roast uh, grill a steak, you get that crust on there, that's a chemical change. You've turned certain compounds into different ones. Well, in the case of coffee, and plus you've got a unlike a you know, piece of meat or something where you have a lot of surface area, you have a, a roughly a sphere where there's surface area, but there's also a lot of material inside that's not directly impacted. Because of that, there are chemical changes that take place. And one of those chemical changes is a, a certain release of gases, carbon dioxide, nitrogen, a couple of other things. And there's a period of time from the actual application of heat to the full release of those gases. So you want a very fresh roasted coffee, but you don't want a coffee that's been roasted within like the 24 to 36 hour range. So you actually want 
two-day-old, but not older than two-week-old roasted coffee. A little problematic. It's so wonderful to go down to the local coffee shop, see them roasting coffee, smelling it, and go, I want that. But the problem is you don't want that until tomorrow. So it's it's quirky, and that's that's super overkill, but it is real science. So that I mean, at least for a consumer of coffee, it makes me feel so much better about going to a coffee shop thinking yes. that, oh, I'm actually getting probably a good amount of freshness, blah, blah, blah. And Absolutely. actually, there's a lot to coffee and people are like, oh, I just have instant at home. Mm, yeah. they're, they're worlds apart. And now I'm learning. Absolutely. And and I have to confess, I'm a bit of a poo-pooer on um, all of the stuff, the organic this and that. But being a biologist, I see things from a different angle. And I realize, at least I believe, I realize most of that is nonsense. Coffee tea and a couple of other things cheese probably would be one although we have a crap cheese culture here uh you being in the uk have a wonderful cheese culture and it applies you actually still have cheese shops and what have you yeah the 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 boutiqueness of those individualized shops does in fact impart extra benefit to the subject of coffee tea cheese some other niche products so there is real utility and real efficacy in going to a purveyor of coffee. There, there really is. Uh, I would tell you to save your money if I didn't believe so. So in this case, there, there really is. So uh, back to the, the, you know, the division of efficacy. Really, you're not with with performance based. You're not really looking for anything but relatively fresh, relatively fast, and within that strength, you know, ratio of sixteen to one. Uh, now, moving into, and you will get a, a measure of antioxidants and what have you, but because you're looking for the stimulatory effects, that's not really the biggest component. The health benefits and long-term benefits, one, are just that. They're long-term benefits. So even if you don't pursue this avenue in earnest, they're still there, just not absolutely maximized. And again, being a geek and being you know, in love with coffee. I do that. I try to maximize this. Largely what you're looking for here is, again, very fresh coffee, always important. Um, you're also looking toward slightly longer, slower brewing methods because as we said, or as I said, um, the caffeine is one of the very first things to distill out of the solids that are coffee. These other chemical compounds are less water soluble and we'll say more deeply buried in the coffee. So they take a little longer to liberate. They also come with some aspects of coffee that not everyone loves. For instance, as you take that time to extract more and more of these exotic chemical compounds, you also get more uh, oils, a little bit more solids. So you're going to get a heavier, weightier, um, I would call it luscious and delicious, but other people would call it oily, heavy, uh, palate deadening. You know, it's going to be a bigger, bolder, heavier cup of coffee, which again, interesting how culture can follow ahead or run ahead of science. That is the very reason why those types of coffees are typically historically through, you know, from the 1700s to to date, have been sold as dinner coffees, social coffees. That's because that was the purpose. They were heavier 
and slower and less dependent on the caffeine, more dependent on the taste, the weight, the social aspect, mm -hmm. because they were slower, because they were heavier, etc. cetera. Uh, they're very good coffees to pair with, not necessarily appropriate for a sports performance talk, but with sweets because they're heavier, darker, much like dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. you, you, what would you do with dark chocolate versus what would you do with Coca-Cola? That, that's the division there. You know, Coca-Cola, you just drink because it's got sugar and caffeine and whatever. Chocolate, you enjoy. Yeah. You have it slowly. You have it after dinner, et cetera. So that's what we're looking for here is fresh, relatively dark roasted coffees because the caffeine is temperature uh, degradable. So by having a dark roasted coffee, we're lowering the caffeine pretty good. Yep. We're also creating new and interesting chemical components with that pyrolysis, that Maillard reaction, the burning of, of uh, delicate compounds into more complex compounds, uh, kind of like turning wood into charcoal. Charcoal is actually a more complex substance than the wood was, than the cellulose was originally. Um, kind of what, you know, heat is the driver of most chemistry. As you apply heat, you get more and more interesting chemistry moving forward and vice versa. If you take heat away, you get slower and typically less interesting chemistry. Most processes speed up at heat, slow down it. So dark roasted coffees, slower brewing methods, and interestingly, oftentimes lower uh, serving temperatures. Okay. At very high temperature, you get a lot of steam. Yeah. Pretty obvious. What you don't, what isn't obvious is when you actually study the QED, quantum electrodynamics of chemistry, the more delicate and fine the compound, the more it aerosolizes. So if you have a very hot boiling or nearly boiling product, a lot of these very fine, very low molecular weight compounds actually dissipate really quickly with the steam. So instead of getting all these exciting antioxidants and interesting and some even unknown compounds, they're going off into the air and you're just right. getting the coffee, which is still delicious and wonderful. But leaving that coffee in the brewing vessel for an extra two or three minutes, allowing that temperature to come down into the 170s Fahrenheit, you can now serve a coffee where more of those interesting compounds remain in the cup and then ultimately in you. So there is a science and there is, again, that's a probably one of the major reasons why that whole uh, affair of dinner coffee, where it was brewed with dinner, but then served after dinner and it was much cooler. And interestingly, culture has adapted to this science even before the science was really elucidated. So that's, that's a little, a little bit of, of thoughts. I don't know how much more or where you want to go, but that's a little bit of thoughts on coffee uh, in terms of its application, presentation, uh, consumption. No, you said the, so much good stuff. And I did actually want to pull back to um, the health benefits in that I remember when I looked into kind of the blue zones and these are areas of which the kind of people are living the longest lives, the centurions. Yes. And whereas you can't kind of, obviously this is correlation and causation, but the majority of them, uh, along with having high carb diets, lots of beans and pulses, they also drank coffee and alcohol like every day. So um, I think that in itself is kind of a bit of an indicator that obviously there is some health benefits there. 
and at the very least, it's a strong indicator that there's probably not a lot of problematic issues with coffee, which again, the opposite side of that coin can be just as valuable. Saying that it's good for you is one thing, but saying that it's obviously not bad for you also has a lot of validity and utility. You know, no, if you definitely. say, I like this, I get a performance benefit, and there's almost no indication it's going to harm me, that's pretty useful information as well. I don't know if you want to actually touch on any of those kind of just the the people that talk down to coffee or I don't know, even caffeine, well, I guess caffeine well, is part of that. There, It is, and interestingly, there is an interesting note here. Um, uh, it, it actually t- ties into my real life, in- interestingly enough. Uh, as a birthday present, I bought um, genetic tests for my wife oh. and I for, for her birthday. Um, she pretty much knows exactly her lineage. I, I actually do not. Um, uh, I'm probably adopted, but that's a, a completely separate subject. But anyway, the, the the whole subject of genetic testing and all of that. And one of the things that's actually very easy to test genetically, and they do it just kind of as a, I think, kind of a little catch, commercial catch, really, is there's actually an A and B gene in humans associated with caffeine metabolism. Oh, wow. A genetic set people metabolize caffeine at about twice the rate of the B set people. And interestingly, the A set genetics almost always focus around the rim of the Mediterranean, the Iberian Peninsula, Turkey, Greece, Croatia, uh, Arabia, back around to, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Algeria, uh, Algiers rather. You know, the whole rim of the – and then as you move away from that, you get more and more into the B set, which are slower metabolized caffeine. So it's interesting that the people that seem to be from geographically, the area that coffee is from geographically, seem to be most suited and most adapted to its consumption. Uh, that's an interesting little subset. Yeah. And a lot of times the where I was going with this really is a lot of times the people you find that are very – anti-coffee and caffeine happen to be Asian, you know, Northern Russian, et cetera, where they're very genetically removed from the Mm -hmm. exposure to it. And it's not a surprise that it's problematic to them. So it is kind of, again, like, you know, like, like celiac disease. Yeah. Like it's celiac disease is most heavily focused in Finland, which coincidentally is one of the last places on earth that we got to. It's not a surprise. Yeah. So when you look at it genetically as the evolution of human culture and human agriculture, the places that got these things most recently are probably going to be the places that have the most issue with it. Mm-hmm. Native Americans have the absolute best tolerance to corn because they invented the shit. Yeah. It's not it's not coincidence. And strangely, you know, Koreans have the worst tolerance to corn because it's just now the 20th late 20th century getting to them. So th- there is a lot of times when you hear people besmirch or bemoan a certain subject, you have to take a moment, at least as a, as what I think would be a good scientist, yeah. is step back and look at the conditions under which they're doing so. It's not surprising that caffeine is problematic to certain subsets of people. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, you know, if you're, you know, Greek or Turkish or, you know, uh, you know, 
Ethiopian, it's probably not a surprise that caffeine is just nothing but good for you. And then you wonder why anyone could possibly have a problem with this wonderful product because it's very literally proper word native to you. So, and then interestingly, again, in that bigger picture concept, it, we talked about some of these compounds are not exclusive to coffee. It's not surprising and to me very interesting to find that those things that they would not be getting from coffee, those yeah. phenols and, you, you know, eugenol and some of these interesting exist in excessive proportion in products exclusive to those regions. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. Humans need this shit, and it seems to exist in various vectors associated with various geographies. So, you know, strangely, um, I, I mentioned you know northern Russian Siberians. There's an assortment of mushrooms in that part of the world, and Russians are very mushroom dependent in their diet. Wow. They actually have very specific words for mushrooms. There's actually a word in Russian for uh, mushroom crazy. Like you. <laughs> You're so you're so into mushrooms. You have like mushroom craziness. I don't know the word, but That's I know hilarious. that it exists. And interestingly, a lot of these compounds we're talking about exist in those mushrooms. So again, it's not surprising that nature has. I hate those sites. So this sounds almost uh, religious, but I don't find it surprising that nature provides those things, and the the indigenous must simply find that vector. It's. Mm -hmm. You know, just like fatty acids. Yes, great fatty acids come from cold water fish, but there are people on Earth that don't have cold water fish. Interestingly, they have avocados and other things. So this stuff exists from multiple vectors. And and that that is relevant and important, especially when talking about the people that seem to have an issue with it, is because they've kind of natively developed uh, dependence on other vectors for the same stuff. Mm -hmm. That's that is relevant. No, it's super interesting. And actually, it reminds me of, um, I think, I don't know where I heard it, but it was something to have been kind of, if there wasn't much food available, how much of like a single thing could you eat? And it was something along the lines of coconuts are largely available on kind of islands and you can eat a lot of coconut and do yes. well off it. Um, because, and it's Absolutely. like the earth is providing for the animals to survive and that's the coconut Absolutely. was a good item. So no, that's Absolutely. really interesting. Um, I think we got to a good point. You kind of talked about this is almost individualization. Different people have different tolerances to these things. Yes. Can we talk to like how much or ah. how much you need for the health benefits or how much is too much and the same with performance? Absolutely. Um, performance first, because it's, the, 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 the vector of the show is about largely um, when you talk about performance, you're mostly talking about caffeine yes. and the numbers there are pretty well established um, depending on your body weight, your tolerance, possibly even your sex and race, but largely body weight and tolerance are the two big issues. Um, anything south of a thousand milligrams is safe, not, not life threatening in any way. So it really just comes down to how much do you need to get the stimulation from the stimulant that you want? Typically, most uh, Americans, you, you, obviously you're not, but most Americans that reside somewhere in the two to 600 milligram range dosage. That is roughly speaking, a good healthy cup of coffee is as much as 
200 milligrams of caffeine, mm. most probably more like 100. So you're talking somewhere between one and six cups of – and when I say cups, I actually mean traditional cups, yes, not the no. Starbucks kegs. That was a fair amount. In. <laughs> exactly. A, a cup of coffee is really six to eight ounces, which is you know minuscule. That's My cup is even larger, than, and mine's rather small. So that's the performance target. Uh, an interesting note on caffeine in coffee, uh, because it's in solution, because it's hot, um, they've proven through laboratory tests repeatedly that less caffeine, you get more stimulation per unit dose of caffeine via coffee than if you swallowed caffeine pills. Wow. Again, because it's already liquid, because it's hot, hot liquids diffuse into the body faster than cold liquids or no liquids. So caffeine is a really, or coffee is a really excellent delivery mechanism for said caffeine. So you do get the benefit of having to consume slightly less drug, as it were, per unit dosing. But it's largely dependent on what you need to get, what your stimulation level is. And taking time away from it, like so many things does, resensitize you. And you can you know, take methods, take measures to raise or lower your tolerance as needed. And on that, actually, I yeah. know um, I've done some research into kind of yeah, periodizing your caffeine intake and trying to get kind of resensitized to it. Mm -hmm. And there really isn't much out there. Have you found anything in which is it individual, I guess? Well, it is, it, it is individual, although the process, the, the steps are largely similar. And that is it's time dependent. Regardless of how fast or slow you metabolize caffeine, regardless of how big or small you are, it's a time issue. The longer you go with the reduced dosage, the more you become sensitive, the lower your tolerance. So it is an issue of uh, everyone's a little individualized and everyone's conditions are a little individualized, but it ultimately comes down to the longer you restrict, the greater your sensitivity, right. the longer you indulge, the lower your sensitivity. Um, now, moving over to the health side, the sensitivity thing becomes actually contra-indicated uh, in a way. And that is what you want is a lot of long-term exposure. You've got pervasive you know, chemicals here, antioxidants, long-term health stimulators. And the secret is get as much as you can for as long as you can. So in reality, from a health perspective, what you really want is a large tolerance so that the stimulatory drug-like effect is minimized, but the exposure to these interesting, interesting exciting health-promoting chemicals is maximized. So actually what you want from a health perspective is a high tolerance and a relatively high consumption. So it, it is a little bit you know, differentiated. Like myself, I drink so much coffee and I enjoy coffee that I get really very little stimulatory effect. Now, I can, you know, placate myself with these platitudes and say, well, but I'm getting lots of long-term health benefits. Um, you know, it, it, that's a little bit of a hard argument, especially to the point that I drink coffee. But the reality is that's, that's a great example of I'm relatively deadened to the drug-like yeah. stimulatory effect. So I'm simply doing it because I like it and maybe the vague hope that I'll, you know, live an extra day or 
you know, keep my intellect an extra week or something. The, the reality is I just fucking like coffee and I'm going to drink it and I don't care. But that that's me and I'm definitely not promoting that to your audience. No, I mean, it's something I've trialed and I, I've had clients trial kind of in their deload weeks to try and at least reduce their caffeine consumption from what it is. Um, right. And it's, it's, and I've done it myself and I often find myself, I, I like coffee so much that I end up not like depressed, but it actually worsens my day to such a degree yes. that yes. it almost feels not worthwhile. Well, keep in mind, one of the major effects of coffee, caffeine specifically, is that adenosine pathway in the brain, which has a large influence on dopamine levels. And caffeine, not only is it a stimulant, and it is, raises metabolic rate, raises heart rate causes vasoconstriction, but it also has an actual influence on the chemical volumes and processes in the brain. So it is on top of being a stimulant, it is a mood elevator. This is well established in science. So it's not surprising that the reduction of would probably reduce one's mood. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that, you know, kind of like, oh, during my deload week or during this day or this one, the problem is caffeine has a very long half-life. Um, you expose yourself to buttloads of it. You know, it doesn't just come from coffee, you know, soda, chocolate, tea, all, all sorts of other places. Is to really get to the point where you're getting free of the substance is probably more on the month range than right. the week so the reality is depriving yourself of a week probably just pisses you off and makes you want coffee. It probably isn't really accomplishing that underlying chemical effect that you're looking for. That probably, probably requires a much greater restriction in terms of te temporally, time-wise. Um, and that is where things get a little individualized because, again, body weight, race, sex, that A, B, gene set, et cetera, does influence that. Even where you've been getting your caffeine from can influence how long it takes to get rid of. But in general, yeah, to, to really just like, you know, the refeed and all of the things to really get a legitimate physiological change. It's a protracted event. Right. It's not proximal. It's not all oh, go without coffee today. That's just a show of willpower. That has no chemical influence on your body. Now, you know, go without coffee for a month there might actually be underlying chemical changes and resets and levels. Wow. And because you do work with performance athletes and things like this, yes. is it something that you periodize or plan out for them? Or do you just go, right, like it takes so, like the, the negatives kind of outweigh the potential positives? Uh, well, I see it the other way around. The positives of coffee outweigh any of the negatives of the of the influence oh, but the minor impact on you know elevated heart rate elevated blood pressure is so overwhelmed by the volume of additional athletic work you can do which raises health and suppresses blood pressure and pulse and all that stuff so i see it as a very positive means to an end my rough attitude is the more you can consume without really running into a problem go that's better just like carbohydrates. You know, carbohydrates have some negative influences. Some rare people become diabetic. Some rare people, you know, th there are problems. But in general, my attitude about nutrition is the more of that stuff you can consume, the better our work is going to be really. So I, I, I tend to put coffee in that same category as just, just keep inching it up until you're either comfortable or you've reached a wall. Let's do that. 
I think that's a really, I mean, for me personally, it's a nice perspective because I know sometimes I feel kind of almost guilty for having more coffee um, in my day. And in reality, whenever I have it, I feel better. I get more productive and exactly. these good things happen. And when I try and restrict it or to kind of get these resensitizations like you're talking about, I get the negatives. I mean, yeah, the, it's just not worth it. So I think that's a really nice perspective. And if anything, exactly. it reminds me of kind of like that perspective's like eat as many calories as you can get away with. Why Absolutely. would you reduce it apart from the expenditure of money? <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's it. And then, also, there's a psychology at work, too. You know, for, I'm a great example of that, partly because I have real mental illness and, you know, Asperger's and, you know, OCD problems. And, but it's to me, it's very much a mental trigger. Going and making the coffee changes my mindset. It changes my attitudes about what I'm about to do, how I'm about to perform. When I sit here talking to you or typing on my keyboard or doing something, uh, I'm programmed with periodic pauses to reflect on my coffee cup, enjoy my coffee. It changes my behaviors largely to the positive in terms of productivity. Whereas if I don't have that coffee or if I'm trying to like just bulldoze through some work and yeah. not do that, um, I'm less productive because I'm sensitized to the behavioral aspect. Uh, an example of that is, you know, I mentioned in some of the other podcasts, I had trained with the great bodybuilder, Tom Platts. He had um, those same kind of mental cues associated with his wardrobe. He would always wear a track suit, a shirt, and then a zip up long sleeve yeah. kind of track suit deal. And he would not take off the outer track suit until the actual work sets begin. His warm up was always done in that track suit, you can look at pictures and tell what position of what, what part of his workout he was in based on his attire. If you saw him with the sleeves and the zip up deal, that was early in the workout. That was warm up. He wasn't yet working. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, he didn't disrobe until it was time to actually get dirty. Same thing with his squat shoes. He would warm up his legs and stretch and do all sorts of things with no, with different shoes on. He yeah. wouldn't put his squat shoes on until it was time to sit in front of the squat rack and look at the bar. A little bit different, but yet not different. I feel the same way about coffee. Yeah. I'm not ready to do work. I'm not ready to truly engage. I'm not warmed up until this is near me. And I've gone through the ritual steps of making that. And, I, and I'm ridiculous. I, I Much like Tom Platt, I am ridiculous. I'm certainly not trying to compare myself to him, but uh, <laughs> we have similar mental conditions, I'm sure. When I make coffee, like uh, most of you out there will just mindlessly, you know, pour water in a thing, two scoops of coffee, whatever. To me, it's an elaborate, it's like the Japanese tea ceremony. I have a scale. I weigh the coffee. I put the coffee in the grinder. I set the grind size. That is an influence on how you make the coffee. I carefully measure my water from a, a filtered pitcher. I put the water in. I put the coffee in. I even landscape the coffee in the brewer. I, it doesn't matter. I'm yes, but I do it. I literally, because the water's hitting it and moving outward, I actually make a little mound of coffee so that the most amount of coffee is under the water. And to me, it somehow matters. It, it doesn't, but, but I'm just trying to give you a perspective of what level of angst I put into the preparation of this beverage. And I'll literally even 
watch it. I'll watch it brew just to make sure that nothing's going awry while I'm not looking like that Schrodinger's cat thing. I don't want to be in the other room and <laughs> have my be fucking up. I have to be right there and I watch it and I'll talk to it. And then after it's done, I, I again, this sounds absolutely ludicrous and it is, but I even have like a, a moment of respect. I'm like, uh, I'll just let you there for a minute. I don't, you don't need to, don't need to rush. You just, you know, and it's done and it's completely made, but for some reason I feel compelled to just let it in its <laughs> entirety for just a minute. Okay. Now I get my, and then I come in here and I sit in front of the computer and I have this ritual behind me and I have this aroma and I have the warmth and then I can, now I can engage and I work so much better. Yeah. And it's largely psychological. Absolutely. Caffeine, like I said, doesn't have a hell of a lot of impact on me, but the behavioral pattern has a big impact yeah. on me. So it, it, it is, you know, it is bigger than just a cup of brown goo. It yeah. really is. Or yeah. can be. I mean, it actually almost sounds like some of the behaviors and habits competitive bodybuilders get into as they get to stage with food Absolutely. in they have their spoon they have their bowl they watch Absolutely. their oats cooking in the microwave <laughs> i do it <laughs> so no, no massively interesting and i think that probably covers a hell of a lot um and we can wrap it up there for the part two sure. but like always if people have got questions about this sort of thing let us know um, and hopefully we'll get to them. But I just want to say a massive thank you again for Broderick for sharing his, his love for coffee and coming on the show again. And thank you guys for listening in.